welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to episode 73 of the Proper Mental Podcast and my guest this week is Gail Porter. Gail is a TV personality, a television presenter, she's an author and she's also a BAFTA winning documentary maker. And Gail shot to fame through children's television and I can remember from the likes of Live and Kick In and Fully Booked. A bit later on she was on Top of the Barps and The Big Breakfast and she's been a regular on the telly ever since then. And throughout that time Gail struggled with her mental health and she's now a well-known advocate and speaker. And in 2020, Gail won a BAFTA for her documentary, Being Gail Porter, which documented her lifelong struggle with mental health issues while dealing with a life lived in the public eye. And it's a wonderful film. I highly recommend that you watch it. I've put a link to it on Vimeo in the episode notes. And um, it's an emotional watch. You know, it's a challenging watch, but it's an important one, I think. And um, yeah, Gail's just, she's just wonderful. And the entire time I was watching it, I just wanted to reach in through the telly and give her a big hug and make her a cup of tea. And you can tell it was really, really challenging to make. And we talk about that in this episode, the whole process of going back to the start of your life and and going through all these these challenging things and and putting that out there on film for everyone to see. We also chat about being on telly and being on telly specifically when you're trying to pretend everything's okay when behind the scenes it's not. We talk about the mental health conversation in the 90s or lack of it. We talk about the tabloids. We talk about being sectioned. We talk about mental health diagnosis we talk about all sorts of things. It's it's wonderful. It was so lovely to meet Gail. She's a just a wonderful, kind-hearted person and she's just been through so much and she's just got a smile on her face and doing everything she can just to kind of help other people and I just find her really, really inspiring. She's a lovely, lovely human being. And if you'd like to see what Gail's up to, you can follow her on social media. Like I said before, I've put a link to the documentary in the episode notes and I highly recommend it. If you want to get hold of me, head to the website propermentalpodcast.com or social media, tends to be Instagram is the best place to get hold of me at Proper Mental Podcast. And if you could take two minutes to leave this episode or any other episodes a review, I'd be very, very grateful. I haven't had a review for a little while, so you'd be doing me a big favour. That's all I need to tell you about this week. This is episode 73 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Gail Porter. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. Cool. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Gail Porter. How are you, mate? Hello. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? That's I'm my good. background, by the way. She, she, always, she can't let me do a podcast without getting her bottom in there somewhere. <laughs> What's her name? It's Pickles. Pickles. Oh, hello, Pickles. <laughs> oh, look. Oh. She's it's just there like you a go. Just get our <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mate. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really um, We've appreciate been your time. For ages, we? But it's just been a bit of a pickledy pickledy year. Oh, yeah. It's a uh, modern life at the moment, right? That's just yeah. kind of how it is. Yeah. You mentioned before, Gail, you've been going back and forth to Scotland um, quite yes. a bit. Um, is that does that still feel like home for you, Gail? When you um, 
when you head yeah, back there. I get off at Edinburgh, but the thing is, we were filming all over the place where we were up from like the Isle of Arran to, uh, you know, Loch Lomond, or, you know, we we're all over the place. So um, it wasn't like we do two days here, two days there, two days there, but we did do two days in Edinburgh, which was great because I managed to cram and see all my mates and took some of the English team out with the Scottish lot, and I don't think they recovered. <laughs> so that's been fun. But yeah, when I go to Edinburgh, yeah, from the minute I got off the train, people are always like, all right, wee man, all right, pal, how's it going? Welcome home. Everyone's so friendly, so I get quite excited. Yeah, there's um, something about that, isn't there? That familiarity of just being back on home turf. And um, I always think like, because I'm Welsh, you see, and I, I live in England. And when I go back to Wales, it's something about the, it's like almost like the smells and the sounds. It's stuff that yeah. it's hard to communicate to other people, right? It's brilliant. I mean, you could be in the middle of the city and then you're up Arthur's seat and then you're feeding the ducks. And it's not, but whereas like, I've not been feeling that great this weekend. And then I thought, right, I need to get up and out. But I'm in North London and I think, right, if I get up and out, where am I going? <laughs> I'm going to have to go somewhere, get the tube somewhere that's nicer and um, find a park, which probably everybody was doing this weekend because it was dead sunny. Um, I was just like, oh, the thought of doing that when you're not feeling 100% and sitting in with other people on the tube and thinking, oh, I don't want to give anyone a cold. So, um, yeah, I've done absolutely nothing. Oh, mate, best way. It's not, um, it's in not Edinburgh, safe. In Edinburgh, I know I'd get up and I'd know within five minutes I'd be in a friend's coffee shop or I could go for lunch somewhere with my friends. Whereas in London, it's a lot of planning, London. Yeah, I can well imagine. I suppose it's not, um, well, it's not at a stage now where it's safe to sneeze in public either, right? So no, exactly. you've got to be careful, careful on the tube, you'll be getting funny I've looks. I mask with me. I do my tests in the morning if I'm going into town and, you know, I'm, things are kind of getting back to normal, but then you'll sit in the tube one day and then someone will just chirp, you know, say, oh no, put my mask on. Oh, I, does it. Oh, I don't know. I've had COVID twice. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> So how long have you been in, in London for, Gail? Was that kind of like, um, was that part of the, did you move down for telly when you came down to London? Um, well, yeah, I kind of moved out. Yeah, it was kind of telly. I moved down, I was babysitting for a friend of mine that was a director and I've been working up in Scotland in a post-production company making, like, I was, I was a runner. So I was just doing anything. I was making teas, coffee, washing people's cars, par parking their cars, occasionally getting to sit in an edit suite and learn how to offline edit, learn how to avid edit. Uh, I literally was, I would do anything for free because they weren't big on paying you because you were new out of college or uni or whatever. But then, yeah, so one of the directors I was working with in Scotland, he came down to London and I was babysitting his kids and I said, well, I'll come down to London and babysit your kids for free. And then we can, you can take me out to certain places. And because I'd written loads of letters to people going, do you know what, do you need a runner? Do you need a teammaker? Try to make everything really funny. And then I came down, um, this was 26 years ago. And I think it's 25, 26 years ago. I can't remember. I don't even remember what day it was yesterday. But, um, and I've been writing to Peter Richardson from the comic strip. Um, begging for a job and then when I was in one of the fancy clubs I think it was Groucho Club or something with with the director man I was just overwhelmed going my gosh what is this this is crazy it's not like Edinburgh like, you, you recognize everyone off the telly or I recognize great directors that I was thinking oh, gosh I wish I was like proper grown-up and could talk to them and then um yeah Peter Richardson saw me and I went over and I was a bit freaky and said um, hi I'm Gail Porter and he just looked at me and he's like and I was like the Scottish one I was like, yeah, and he went, do you want to, and I went to the office, which was just around the corner, um, and um, they had my letters up on a pin board, like I was a psychopath, and also I was going, oh, by the way, I'm not mad, 
And then when you say that to a bunch of strangers who work in Soho and you've just arrived from Scotland and you're super excited and you go, well, I'm not mad or mental or anything like that. And I'm not a stalker. They're thinking she's mad and she's a stalker. And then, but they gave me a job um, as a runner on a Stephen Fry production. So um, I kind of got flung in, but I was just making teas again and making sure that everybody got in their taxis. Yeah, and then sure. from there, I was backwards and forwards to Scotland until when I moved down to London, I got a big TV job and it was based in Scotland. So I was flying up every week after I'd just moved down to thinking, I'll get all the work. And anyway, that was a big, long answer, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't realise you backed to front it for a bit, moved to London yeah. and got a job in got a job in Scotland. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing. And what was the first one? What was that job? Um, the, well, I did quite a few Scottish children's ones, but when I moved to London, I think the biggest Scottish kids telly I got at the time was a thing called Fully Booked. And it was on um, Saturday morning. Was it Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings? One, of, I think it was Saturday mornings. And you'd fly up on the Thursday, I think. Rehearse Thursday, Friday, live Saturday, fly back to London Sunday. And it was one of those magazine programmes. You know when kids tell it used to be fun? <laughs> and when you could put an odd innuendo in there and get away with it. Uh, but you couldn't do that now. And you can't slap people or anything like that. No, um, and you can't, can't comment on anyone's hair. But um, uh, no, it was great fun because we were all like, yeah, we'd be drinking loads of coffee since rehearsal time in the morning. And then I think we went live at something insane, like eight or nine. Well, it wasn't as bad as a big breakfast. We were in rehearsals from about 3 a.m. And live at seven, but we didn't know what was happening there, so nobody really cares. <laughs> but no, it was great fun. I loved doing Fully Booked, and it was we had good guests, and we had a live audience in. And yeah, it was just really good fun. Oh, man. Yeah, I remember those shows well. You know, I'm old enough, I remember Fully Booked very well. And um, yeah, they always looked a lot of fun, right? They always, uh, that, was yeah. the, that was the thing. Yeah. So, um, when does mental health enter the picture, Gail? How far were you um, going through things even at this point? Oh yeah, as a teenager, I would say, I was um, either overweight, underweight, um, stressing about something. I was never good enough. Um, I was always a little bit quirky and I get picked on when I was younger at school, but then when I got older, it was only a snobby lot that stayed behind. <laughs> and um, so yeah, I was always worried about something or getting anxious or, I didn't, but I didn't really think about it then because it wasn't kind of like, um, we didn't really discuss it it wasn't discussed especially I mean I always say it's more so in Scotland I think because we're very stoic and it's kind of like brushed under the carpet and if anyone's upset we don't talk to each other I mean I remember seeing mum and dad cuddle once and me and my brother thought someone had died we were like oh my god what's happened it was so unusual for us to see them and then one day my mum decided that she was well embarrassed that I hadn't been christened in the church and I was about 14 or something 13 so she put a basin in the front room and the vicar came to the house <laughs> and all the folk were walking past all the folk all the like the cool folk from my school who go and drink cider in the in the park are walking past go look at snobby porter in a basin and i was like <sighs> so yeah it's, it's been pretty tough all the time and yeah. then it sort of got worse the older i got i think i think mm. because you worry more and you're more anxious and working in our industry you know we don't know what where jobs are coming from all the time and where money's coming from and so yeah your mental yeah. health gets affected but i exercise a lot now so yeah oh that's good a good way of like processing that that emotion yeah, yeah. i kind of identify that a lot Gail. when i was younger i 
I was like a, a massive warrior, a very anxious person. Yeah. Um, my mind always going, you know, 10 to the dozen all the time. I, cause I didn't know what it was because mental health like didn't exist. Yeah. It wasn't a conversation. It just wasn't one. So I never like, I just thought it was me. I just thought I was weird. So I kept it to myself. I, I, I was weird. I just said to you before you, you said that, I said, and I didn't do drugs. I meant like drugs were given to you from the doctors, just in case anyone's watching this going, God, check her out. 50 year old <laughs> drug taking weirdo. No, it was meant, I mean, prescription. I wouldn't take anything because I tried once and no, no, no. But did you go to the doctors? Uh, yeah, I did eventually. I did eventually. Yeah, I can't. I didn't for a long, long time. I and, tried um, and I couldn't get an appointment. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I broke, broke down in tears at one point. I was on my knees outside and I was like to the, the receptionist, please. And she was like, what are you doing three months on Thursday? And I went, I don't even know if I'll be here three months on Thursday. I'm that depressed. Can I not speak to someone? But they've just got such a long waiting list for mental health and yeah yeah crikey it's tough isn't it it's really really tough i suppose in some ways i was quite lucky because i've been poorly for a long time Did you get given medication yeah i know i got it so because i went on during 2020 so it was pandemic so it was all over the phone so it was a lot easier to get someone on the phone and by this point i'd been in like therapy for so long i knew what was going on and i had a really good understanding of it so when the, yeah. the doctor was like what's going on and i was like well this is happening this is happening this is happening. it's all because of this when i was a kid blah 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 and i had all this information she was like all oh, right cool do you want to try these pills so it was actually like a really um simple simple and process mm. oh, gosh. But, um, i know that's not the case for uh for everyone I, I for me personally i wish i'd done it sooner it made a massive difference a massive massive difference well, I fractured my skull last year at the end of the year and I got seen in a, in a hospital in Glasgow because it happens I was an accident in Glasgow and then I just got a letter from my doc, my doctor here who I've been up to leave messages and phone calls and did it and I got a letter last week right it's March I fractured my skull in November she's like I really think we should have a CT scan and I was like hey she said but um, I'll tell you when you can and can't have it and I was like, I've been asking since November because I had one in Scotland and they told me I need to get one as soon as I get back to London. And I said, and I can't get one with you. She went, well, I'll just decide. And she said, I'll call you back and we can have a further discussion. I went, why don't you just speak, talk to me now? <laughs> You're on the phone. You're the doctor. Don't, don't waste the time. And she went, no, I think I'll call you back. I was like, oh, for goodness sake. They still haven't organised it. Yeah, it's um, it's tricky. It's just so much pressure, I suppose, on the um, on the system, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. just... Uh... I mean, working so hard as well, but... It's kind of like, don't organize to fool me twice on the same subject. Just get over and done with. <laughs> yeah, just get it, just get it sorted. Yeah. Might be mad, but I think that's pretty sensible, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, like I mentioned there now, the mental health conversation did, didn't exist. No. And that, was that your experience of it as well, sort of coming up through the 90s and, you know? Yeah, definitely. That. that wasn't a thing. I remember we got sex education when we were about 16, 16. Half my class had, had left because we were pregnant. But, <laughs> but I remember I got to that stage and I was maybe 15 or something. And I was such, I didn't know anything because mum, you know, it wasn't discussed. We don't discuss mental health, we don't discuss sex, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, sexuality, none of it gets discussed. Um, nothing whatsoever. And so they said, is there anyway the whole class mixed men boys and girls um there's any way that a woman could get pregnant um without um having sex and then someone put their hands up they went oh yeah yeah miss miss i think if you get sperm on your tights then you can get pregnant when i say someone it was me <laughs> so, yeah that i got more snobby porter abuse and i was like oh and then i got a leaflet posted underneath my bedroom door when I was about 16 and a half, that was too late by then. And um, yeah, it was about sexual, you know, how to have sex. I was like, oh man, no one was talking about anything. 
Yeah. So if that was, yeah, if that was happening late, then the mental health conversation definitely wasn't happening. Yeah, right? mental health, yeah. that's not a thing. And also yeah. it's kind of like pick yourself up and get back on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's how we sort of were treated when we were younger. And I think there's so much in the mental health conversation about, um, you know, pretending we're okay when we're not. Yeah. And I was thinking about it for you, particularly then as well, Gail, being on children's telly, you know, like there's pretending you're okay. And then there's pretending that you're on, when you're on children's telly, that level of energy and engagement that you have to have. And that must've been incredibly challenging for you when you were going through this stuff in private and then having to put on this display on the telly. When I was poorly at one point, I worked in an office and if I was having a bad day, I could go, I could be grumpy. I could put my headphones in. I could just ignore people and just kind of oh. grind through it. But that's not an option when you're on fully booked, right? No, it's not. But the thing is, I had a fantastic team. Telly was different in those days. So it was like a family. And as soon as I got into the hotel that I knew that everyone was going to be there, my mood would just change anyway. And because I was surrounded by people because I get very lonely. And sometimes that makes it really difficult to go outside because I think I should be outside and seeing people because I'm lonely inside. And then I think, I don't want to go out and see people. And what if they ask me if I'm all right? And then I, I don't want to tell them I'm not. But I was very lucky. I'd say the majority of time when I was doing telly, well, children's telly and fully booked and top the pops they were three of the, the programs that had proper teams of family they had your back they would you know if they sensed anything they wouldn't have, have to ask you they'd just make sure you know you'd go out for a coffee afterwards or go for a glass of wine and everyone just made you feel part of a team whereas now I know that there's still programs on like, you know, the This Morning and Good Morning Britain, whatever, and it is a team and you see the same people all the time. But as a freelancer, I turn up at a different job every different day and do the smiley face thing and think, oh gosh, and your name is, and your name is, I'm never gonna see you again. And I'm doing a different job with it. And what am I doing tomorrow? And so that, and then that hits me even a, a bit more than it usually did, just because yeah. of uncertainty as well. Yeah, definitely. No, uncertainty is a, a huge factor. And I suppose living that, you know the freelancer life that's additional pressure isn't it of you know not yeah. trying to put it all together and, and work out when you know when you've got work and when you haven't and, and all those sorts of things yeah yeah no, exactly. or then <laughs> my favorite one is recently they're going oh can you do this for charity yeah yeah no problem we'll do it for free no problem whatsoever and then they phoned me up and said um you need to get your ticket to, to get on the train I was like oh I thought I thought that you were oh I'm paying for oh I'm paying to come okay <laughs> my daughter's like mom I should be your agent you're rubbish <laughs> like, oh, mate. so I might get my daughter to do that and her you know she's not got spare time she's at uni so my oh, my friend she was like offering me as well she's like look I need to come and sort your diary out because it's just scored out I said like, people keep changing things and then I have to change things and it's awful so anyway. uh, are you quite adaptable Gail are you good at sort of um at dealing with that stuff yeah, yeah, I quite, I'm quite used to it, but then it's just moving other people around. So you have to sort of put it into perspective, like, well, well is that going to pay my rent? Yes, well, I definitely have to do that job first. And if this I'm not getting paid for, then, you know, I'm really sorry. You're good. But most people understand and they say, you know, and if they get miffed, I think, well, hang on a minute, you're not paying me and I'm doing it as a favour. So uh, surely we can just like work together on this one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Do you, do you have to make allowances for your mental health and to look after yourself when living in that type of environment? No, I always go to work. So um, the only time I don't go to work, if, I, if I'm actually genuinely feeling really ill, but if it's a job and I've promised I, I'll turn up, I will be there. So um, I just have to make sure I get up super early, either go for a run or have a cold, I would definitely have a cold shower. That's good for you. And then I'm all right. And then I'll just get my 
good head on and you know just think I can do this no problem I can do this yeah like flicking a switch almost yeah it's worse sometimes though when you're sitting in a I don't like getting taxis anywhere I don't unless you've had a great night out in Soho at Friday night I'm not getting on the tube I'll just get a taxi and also if you've had a few glasses of wine you'll chat the whole way home it's fine but sometimes when they say oh we've got your car to pick you up I start to get really anxious thinking especially now they've got the plastic sheets so you know you can't speak to the driver and then you're sitting in the back and then you know that he's going the wrong way or she's going the wrong way and you go oh and then I keep to open the window because I don't I get claustrophobic in the back so I open the window and then you just see getting a dirty look in the mirror and I go they probably weren't giving me a dirty look they're probably angry with the traffic but I think it's my fault oh my god it's my fault so I spend whatever hours on the in a taxi just going god I want out yeah I've, I think that's a, like a really fascinating aspect of like mental health and the, the worry and the anxiety type of um, mental health conversation and it's something I experience in myself is that the small things like being in a taxi are really challenging and yet hopping in front of a camera and being on tv yeah. isn't because <laughs> it's know? just on my own and then I just think well there you go or I'm chatting to somebody but the man in the taxi he's doing his job does he want to speak does he not want to speak does he like the windows open have I done something wrong oh my gosh he doesn't even care probably he's like I don't even know who you are I don't know what you do and don't don't bother and I'm I'm just like oh this is terrible I'm a terrible human oh no I'm doing everything wrong again and then yeah. I get to a work thing and I'm thinking I'm okay now I know what I'm doing yeah, yeah yeah I have that a lot I always think that if I'm playing a role so if when I'm podcasting I'm a podcaster and I can do that with confidence but then if we were to sit without a microphone and we're not recording and me and you're having a chat and you asked me something about me I'd be like uh, and I'd worry about saying the right thing and I'd feel shy and I'd feel you know like it I'm, I'm okay if I'm in a very defined position you've got your headphones on that's your safe place that's it yeah that's like my uh my superhero outfit or or something like that yeah, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> so if you yeah, would like bottle. this is my little comfort blanket Put it on oh, yeah oh amazing yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's building yeah. a it's almost like a physical barrier in between. Like sometimes, you cuddle, you cuddle in your seat. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mate. So you know, we're in the '90s, and there's no conversation around mental health. And behind the scenes, you know, you're having to deal with these things. And the, the other thing that I was thinking about around that time as well is the the power of like the tabloids, you know, and that they will, would be writing stuff potentially about you, Gail. And back then it wasn't like social media where you could come out and, and use your own voice. You know, back then that's all we had, right? It was the tabloids. That's all we had was those. And I think particularly where mental health is concerned, because it is such a private thing. It's such a personal thing. And that must have been a, a really awful experience, Gail, having things in the in the paper. That was one of the worst because I was getting anxious and then there'd be maybe a photographer. I mean, I was Z list. So what, what they were thinking of, I've got no idea. But there'd be a photographer outside say I was going to meet a friend for coffee there'd be a photographer there and you think how so I'm thinking it's one of my friends but then I don't want to blame somebody else but I've not told anybody apart from my friends where I'm going to be and then they'd know when I was at home and they'd know if I'd had a row with my ex-husband or they'd know if I was going away or something and so then I started like not just not phoning people and because I thought I don't want to accuse anybody but then that's when I found out that they had hacked my phone for a long time. So not only are you anxious and now you're worried that your friends are selling things or doing something and you just think, and it's not very interesting. It's like Gail went to Budgeons. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> really dull. <laughs> or, or Gail's walking the dog with her baby. Yep, I do that every day. So I, I ended up starting, oh, this is awful. 
but I ended up wearing an outfit go home, wash it, dry it, wear it out the next day until the photographers realise, because they just run remote and follow you. Same walk. I've got a baby attached to me. I've got a dog and I'm trying to do shopping. And it's the same guys, same day. And then one of them clicked after about five days. He went, you wear the same outfit every day. And I went, I know. So you're getting the same picture every day. So F off. And they were like, ah, oh, so they left me alone. Yeah, that's really good thinking. Idiots, yeah. yeah. So, so it was quite, um, I did have a bit of a breakdown when I found out about the... Um, phone hacking that was that was this this decade it wasn't in the 90s I wow. that, that's how long it took them it was just before the last one and I got called into this lawyer's office and there was just files and files and files and they went that's from your phone hacking and I was like you uh, I just broke down in tears there was like six people in, in the room lawyers and they're going and I said I need to just stand outside for a minute I can't I can't cope with this yeah. and there were occasional so-called friends uh, that have sold a couple of things as well you just think wow that's not that's not the fun part of being on the telly box it's great if they if they if you can use it for you know charities or do something positive or you know talking about mental health or talking about alopecia anything positive but when to know that they've been listening in on your conversations and picking out the bits they want and also journalists they add what they want or take away what they want i think i had a sister at one point first i heard of it but uh, <laughs> there's all sorts of stuff i read that i thought where'd you get that from but yeah yeah that's awful eh? and i suppose like with yeah, it's just that violation of trust, isn't it? And if you if you're a naturally an overthinker, if you're a worrier anyway, like we said before, yeah. well, that's just going to ramp up that pressure, Gail. Hey, that's oh, uh, that's not awful. And I was looking down my shoulder all the time, thinking should I go? Just thank goodness we didn't have like the camera phones and everything now that we have. Because my gosh, sometimes I see things online and it's just like Gail walking to a shop. I was like, is that really interesting for someone to take a picture of me in Marks and Spencers or something? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm certainly glad that that wasn't around growing up because I think even without any sort of level of, of fame, people can go viral. You, it's like you can't make mistakes anymore, right? You can't. No, you you're can't, not. You can't, see, of... you can't see anything, right? And the other, what was the other thing I was going to say as well? I know. I just wish I could go to a gig without everybody got the phones in their ear. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I always say? Right, get get a picture. Or maybe at the last song, so it's going to be a great song. It's always like an anthem at the end, or you know, get it at the beginning. But don't stand for the whole thing like that. I'm only five foot one. It's tricky enough as it is, and all I can see is back of heads and phones. Yeah, it's such a weird thing, isn't it? And people make that video and they post it. I've never in my life watched someone else's video Neither of a gig. I. It just—it's not a thing, right? It's not yeah, <laughs> watching gigs on the telly because I feel like I want to be in the middle of it all. Yeah, it makes but- you feel funny yeah i know that feeling Mm. yeah definitely oh but you know i think a lot i saw there was a really big band who've just announced the tour and they're saying no phones and you got to like zip block zip block them up on the way in and they're being really really strict on it i can't remember who it was but it was someone massive you know who could start like radiohead or coldplay or something yeah yeah one of the one of the big guns yeah yeah. Well, that's good though. That's really good. It's like when you do secret cinema, you have to hide your phone. Have you ever done secret cinema? I haven't. No, no. You've got to go and do one. I did The Empire Strikes Back. So you have to hand your phone in. You all get dressed up. They give you the location the day before or two days before or something. And then we all got dressed up as people from The Empire Strikes Back. I think I went as, who did I go as? I can't remember. But anyway, then we all do that. And then it's just a day of 
uh, well, the whole evening, sorry, of like, you've got the cantina bars there. So everything from the film, but it is actually like you're in a film set. Wow. It's amazing. Then they show the film and then they've got actors coming on, like Darth Vader will come on and Luke Skywalker will come on. And then they're having the fight and then it's on in the background. Oh, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. I don't want to dirty dancing because I thought I'd probably just fall at that. <laughs> yeah no star wars is definitely the way to go i think if yeah, you're gonna, yeah, uh, yeah get involved oh mate yeah awesome well, can we um touch on your documentary gail as well i wanted to um get into that a little bit how did that come about because that you know that kind of took you back to the start didn't it and, and yeah, all a, the way through everything one, actually well i think it was bbc scotland that got involved contacted me first and then i had to think about it because i thought well this is not just like doing a documentary this is proper personal stuff now and then I thought well I do talk about quite a lot of things anyway so I may as well put it out there I didn't know didn't think it would be as well received as it was but it was really emotional and I did snap a few times at the director who's like oh just do that again and I was like you can't do it again because this is real life this is not I don't know some winking show that you can do again and it's like no 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 so we there was a bit kind of there was lots of tears bits of clashing and then the weirdest thing was I went to see four doctors or five doctors. I haven't properly, I've watched it through while I was editing it. Well, I wasn't editing it, but I was doing the voices and I had to get them to skip through lots of bits. I don't want to watch that. And also my dad's in it. My dad's passed away at the beginning of lockdown. So that was a bit weird, but um, yeah, yeah. So maybe four or five doctors and by, I only had about 15 minutes with each of them all around the country. And I got five different diagnoses. I was bipolar, bipolar, no, bipolar one, bipolar two, uh, uh, borderline personality disorder, depressed and totally fine. Oh, wow. All at once. All at once. Yeah. So all all within three months of filming, we went to see different doctors and that was it. Five diagnoses in three months. And it was all, we advise you to take this drug, we advise you to take that drug, and you just think, that's incredible. You, You don't even know me. Yeah. Yeah. How do you even How pick do you, who yeah. to trust in that, that situation? Yeah. Cause you mentioned in the, the documentary about diagnosis and yeah. how you, you, that's not something that you, that you wanted. I don't, I don't want um, one. Yeah. I really identify. I've never had an official diagnosis. I've never sat, said someone say to me that this is what you deal with or, or whatever. It's something that I we're on the same page and it's very useful for some people, but what, what were your thoughts on that guy? Why don't you want a diagnosis? I just don't want a label over me. I know I have bad days and I have good days, but you know, and I know there's something not quite right in my brain that's wired differently. And I see things out of touch sometimes, but not out of touch, but I'll, I apologize too much. Or I'm always, yeah, I'm always worrying. My daughter thought, stop saying sorry. And I was like, oh, sorry. I mean, yes, no, sorry. Oh my God, I can't help it. I can't help it. And um, so, yeah, I just thought I've got enough on my plate. I'm now 51. I don't need anybody saying, right, we think you've got that. We think you've got that. I, you know what? I know I'm bold. I know I'm old. I know I'm some days extremely happy, some days a bit sad, and that's good enough for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm very similar. I remember being in in a therapy session and saying to the the counselor I was working with at the time and saying like, what what is wrong with me? Why do I think like this? Why do I feel like this? What what is it? And he said to me, um, why do you need to give it a name? You know, what you're experiencing right now isn't right. Some you know? people some people like to have a diagnosis, which is fair enough because it mm. gives them something to work around and and you know if, if they've got one thing that they think that that's what they have then they can work to make it better but me i've had so many that i don't even i don't want one 
Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that was, that was, I wanted to talk about that because I think that's an important side of the conversation because there is a lot of use to having a diagnosis if that suits. And if that doesn't suit, there's a lot of use to not having one too. And I sometimes feel like that conversation is a little bit one-sided and um, yeah. yeah, I kind of really identified with how you talked about that in your documentary. So that's, that's kind of why I wanted nice. to, um, wanted to, to bring that up, you know, but that, that kind of going through that process, did you make that film all in one go or did you do a bit and then have a bit of time off and then come back? From what I can remember, we pretty much crammed as much as we could into three months to keep it flowing. But also we filmed, it was very well organised, so we knew which part, if we were going to be in Scotland, how long I'd be there, then we'd get this London filming so we could do everything from my home or around my neighbourhood or something. So, I mean, it felt really intense, but a lot of things you do, like the documentary I've just done, which is a series, we filmed that in three months. And that was a lot. We got a couple of weeks off and then back on again. And but it is quite intense, especially when you're moving around. But this, uh, the Gail, the Gail Porter one was so intense because it was so personal. And yeah. there was days I just didn't want to get up, but you had to because we've got a schedule. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. But it organized, they've organized to see people and did it. I think it's a huge part of the talking conversation is we're, we're quick to encourage people to talk, but we never talk about how hard that is. And yeah. I also think that's, you know, when we're kind of going through these things, we have to be in a certain place to be able to communicate them. Right. And to be able to, to essentially relive some of the stuff that's better off left where it is sometimes. You know? Yeah. I, I do talks around the country um, on inclusion, diversity, and there have been times I've got up and just been overwhelmed and I've just burst into tears. I can't help myself. And my daughter, she's always saying, mum, you cry everything. You cry when you're happy, you cry when you're sad. And I was like, I know, but when there's a whole, like hundreds of people sitting in front of you and they're suddenly going, talk to us about depression and how to be happy. And you're just saying, I, I can't do it today. But I get through it eventually after I stop crying. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, a massive conversation, right? A massive yeah. conversation. Yeah. Have you, do you, how have you seen the change in that? You know, because obviously we've talked before how that conversation didn't happen in the, the 90s, but you must have watched this kind of evolve into what it is now. Has it changed a lot over the years, do you think? Yeah, it has. Because, I mean, I did think for a while that I was just mad. I was just different and I was mad. And, you know, and people sometimes people would say that to you as well, going, gosh, you're so mad. And you're just saying, oh, my God, am I? But now that people are talking out about it, I think, you know, there's a lot of things still need to be done, obviously. And, and you know, the poor NHS are under so much strain. But I mean, that's a huge thing. You know, I was sectioned because they didn't know what to do with me because I was so depressed. And instead of like, you know, um, getting me in to see a doctor or a specialist, I ended up going completely off the rails. And then they just put me in this, you know, sectioned unit. So there was me, there was two guys that thought they were Jesus. There was a guy that was arrested for assault they shoved everybody in the same place as if to go don't know what to do with them so no doctors just medicator so i was just medicating myself i was going getting back taking doubles because that's the only time i said like, i just want to sleep my way through this and then i was supposed to be in there for 28 days and i think after about i don't know i can never remember because I, I mean all days were just running into each other they sent in a whole bunch of doctors they took me into a room and said we really apologize you shouldn't have been here you can go now wow <laughs> This is me, I'm on about nine meds a day. And they were like, oh, here's a bag of meds. And suddenly I was outside because we weren't allowed outside. We were just kept inside, indoors all the time. And then suddenly you're outside and you just think, well, what just happened there? Yeah. No follow up with the doctors, no communication from them whatsoever. And then the place shut down. 
Wow. I mean, that's like, there's a lot there, right? That's intense. I think yeah. that's when, it, in, I'm, you know, that's what I'm, I'm writing the book about. So it's all right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> process it a bit. Yeah. Oh, mate. Yeah. I think like so many people are, that's the, the scary bit, right? So when I was poly, the reason this podcast is called Proper Mental is because I thought I was going proper mental. Okay. I didn't know I was depressed. I didn't know I was anxious. I thought I was just losing my mind. And that if I told anyone that I would be taken away from my family and it, like your story just then that's sort of like a lot of people's fears almost confirmed right because a lot of people don't speak because there's the stigma around around that process well I was texting my ex-boyfriend at the time on the heath and I said you know what something's gone on in my head I said it feels like I'm in Alice in Wonderland or something everything doesn't feel quite real and I'm sitting underneath the tree and I said I don't I just I really can't go on but obviously I said I, I can go on because I've got a daughter but I just don't understand and then he I think he got in contact with my ex-husband and then so the two of them together I don't know who decided on the best idea was to do was to phone the police so so by the time I sort of got out my system text them and I was like no nah, I'm all right I went up to this place in Hampstead and there was somebody in there that I recognized and she was having lunch and I thought okay calm cat and I said to my ex-boyfriend I'm gonna go to this place, I'm gonna have something to eat and calm down. And the next thing, these four police officers come in. Four, I'm five foot one. And then um, they come in and they went, uh, are you Gail Porter? I went, no, I'm not, I'm not me. I mean her, I'm not her, me, I'm not, no. And then they're like, oh, we need to take you to hospital. And then I start kicking off. <laughs> like a proper Scottish nutter. And then, so then I was like, get off me, get off me. Cause I was thinking, why are the police here? What have I done? I've done nothing. And then, so when I started kicking off, then they sort of like put me in the back of the back, <laughs> handcuffed me in that. And then they uh, took me to a hospital and just left me in a room for 10 hours or something. I had a policeman outside in case I tried to get out. And then two doctors came in, um, a doctor and a junior, and they both went, how do you feel? And I was like, how, how the F do you think I feel? I've been sitting in a room and all I wanted to do was tell someone that was depressed. And then suddenly I've got four police officers. I'm getting arrested. <laughs> and mind you, I was swearing quite a bit. But um, and then they just said, um, well, we need your next of kin to sign you off, like your parents. And I went, well, my mom's dead and my dad lives in Spain. And he said, well, we, we can sign it for them. I was like, I don't know you. I've just met you. And they signed it. And then that meant, that meant legally I had to be locked up for 28 days until suddenly they decided 12 days in that I shouldn't have been there. Wow. That was, that was that was a whole bunch of people I'd never met as well. Yeah. Just, like, we're so sorry. It was just the most surreal experience of my entire life. I stayed indoors for ages after that. Well, I was going to ask about that. What happens on the other side of that? How do you go about sort of... Because well, nobody, nobody contacted you. Nobody said anything. They'd given you all these drugs. Um, so I was just thinking, well, I may as well just take the drugs and sleep because I don't want to go outside. There was, there was a cameraman outside my house because my phone was still being hacked. So, and I thought everyone knows. And then it was in the papers and I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. So then I just had to sort of battle on through it. And then, yeah, I thought I'm just oh. going to talk about this as well because it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I think that, you know, it's, it's very, it's so brave to talk about Gail and I have so much respect for it. And it is important because people can, they can learn from that story and they can relate to it and they can, you know, and it's out there and, you know, yeah, fair, fair play. And I thought that about a lot of the, the documentary, you know, you can see how challenging it was. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, do you want to see it? Yes, please. Yeah. It's so exciting. Watch. It's 
heavy. Wow, an actual BAFTA. I got a BAFTA for being proper mental. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. And it was in lockdown as well. So it was the part of lockdown where we were actually allowed out for a week because I thought when I got nominated, and I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. We can get dressed up. We've got a week off, but we weren't allowed to do that. So I went with to my, to Soho with a friend of mine, Emma, and uh, she sat and we've got the laptops because we're trying to watch this thing on thing. And we're, you know, we couldn't get any connection. We're talking to other people. We're joining in. Everybody's joining. We don't know each other. I have to go for a pee. And she's like, well, you can't go now. And I was like, no, it's fine. I'll get back in time. Came back. She went, I think you've won. I was like, oh God, did I pee my did I pee my oh, way through? I just got back in time to see it and I got I got the oh my god. So wow. yeah, but it's oh, a so, thing, obviously. Yeah. So did you not know did you not know beforehand that you'd no. won? You have to find out in the moment. Yeah, so what they do is everyone that's nominated over over COVID time, they all had to do a speech, even if you've not won. So because they were they couldn't send cameras anywhere, we couldn't all meet up in the same room, we weren't allowed. So everybody who's nominated got to go to a single studio somewhere and a cameraman would be there and you're all masked up and then you say a thank you speech, which is the weirdest thing. Yeah. Say thank you for something you haven't won. But so yeah, I was like, oh. yeah, yeah. But anyway. Yeah, there you go. So there you go. We've got a BAFTA. That's amazing. Yeah, that's so, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and how do you um how do you take care of yourself day to day now gail do you you've obviously you know you must have a good understanding of of what you need and and how to um how to provide that for yourself Sorry, just loves getting involved. <laughs> um do you know what it is like this weekend has not been good at all and i've let myself down because i didn't leave the house um but today i am going to go out and i usually go to like I'll go for a run in the park, but I haven't done that for a while because I've been going to this thing called Soul Cycle, which is a dark, black, blackened room with the most amazing dancer instructors, and you're all in your your like spin spin classes, but whoop, whoop, really like a disco, like a nightclub, and that lifts my spirits. But you know, going to classes they it costs quite a bit of money sometimes, so I've got to sort of balance it out and go when I'm feeling. If I'm feeling really down, I go there because that's my proper happy place because I know that. Once I start, the music starts and I'm good. Or if I'm running, I have to get a nice music collection for the day of the mood and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. mate. Well, that's, um, yeah, you? that's important stuff. Yeah, I'm similar. Exercise is good. For me, I kind of, I'm getting better at reading the signals, but like I try to catch things a little bit earlier rather than yeah. when, it's, when it's too late. But exercise is important and um, and taking it easy. I had a day in the house yesterday. I had a day on the couch and I just, just complete rest and distract myself with a bit of rubbish telly and take a bit of a nap it's and just, just, mm, just go easy, you know? And I think, yeah, just be kind to yourself, right? I think that's the, yeah. the, the best advice. And we're so good at being kind to other people and i think people who have experienced problems with their mental health and mental illness tend to be really really kind people and they're really compassionate towards others but can also forget themselves in that bit as well you know definitely 100 percent. and then you worry about everybody and then you know my friends this week were saying oh should we have my great thursday night my great and i was like do you know what i'm going to say no now because i'm just getting back on track again and um so yeah i'd rather not cancel you last minute i'm just going to take a week of working, working, resting, working. Yeah. And, yeah. And then my oh, daughter's amazing. coming on Friday, so I've not seen her for ages. 
Oh, mate. So that's lovely as well. Oh, Gail, thank you so much for your time today. It's been... Oh, no, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad we could make it We could make it happen. Yeah, sorry. it was lovely. It's been so long, but I wasn't because I was depressed. It just was crazy diary stuff. So. Oh, mate, but it was lovely. Thank you so much for your time, Gail. I really lovely appreciate it. Lovely to meet you. Thank you. Mental podcast. Please like and subscribe. The space stars.